we're able to get at the the questions and the answers that the researchers and scientists and drug developers need to more quickly move their therapies forward. And so, you know, it's real tangible value, I think, when you put patients and scientists and drug developers together and they can interface in a way like this. Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, the leading bleeding disorders podcast brought to you by Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda, bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. And we are coming to you live, live. from the Believe Limited headquarters in sunny and hot. It is Hot. It is absolutely hot. Los Angeles, California. Sweltering. That's a it's good word. So hot. It's hotter in Denver than it is in LA, and it's hot in LA. Denver may have the most confusing weather patterns of the entire country. It's insane. So it's always a journey. I, it's always a journey in Denver. That's <laughs> something. <laughs> but um, I do have to say, I, I had a very traumatizing uh, lunch experience earlier today. I that was there. Mm -hmm. you were, and I, I need mm -hmm. to process that with you here cool. live. But cool, cool. just after the introduction. It's just really preoccupying me, so I have to talk about it now. <laughs> uh, maybe it has to do with the heat. Okay, great. Hint. Great. But uh, anyway, great. later in the show, I will be joined by Kyle and Sean from the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. You'll hear that interview, and then Amy and I will react to it. we got lots of reactions planned. Lots of reactions. We'll also share the latest Let's Talk Mental Health segment, led by Haunting Season's Joshua Sterling Bragg and made possible by Sanofi Genzyme. Thank you, Josh and Sanofi. And thank you all for listening and watching. For those joining us live on Facebook, and did you know that you can support the Bloodstream podcast simply by subscribing to Bloodstream wherever you get your podcasts or by leaving us reviews in the Apple Store or on Spotify or by sharing our content on social media or by telling someone about us? In fact, you can do all of those things. And please do rate, review, subscribe and share the Bloodstream podcast today. And listeners... I'd like to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda! Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda, they got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where mm. you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. I'm for it, and mm. are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey Wherever on that journey they may be, you can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, that's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. And listeners, I would like to remind you that there is still time to sign up for Believe Limited's first ever Big Bloody Talent Show what, taking what? place this summer. This one, not next one. All talent, all acts, all community members. I should say all ages. All age, all everythings. Don't get like an idea that this is just for teenagers. Oh, this no, is no. like legitimately adult talents. A hundred percent it is. Maybe yes. children's talents, maybe infant talents. You can involve a pet. <gasps> yeah. A pet? Like there's no species 
like, no species restrictions. Oh my gosh. None whatsoever. They just anyway, have to hit the time limit. You have to sign up and it's like a whole thing. So please like check out all of our links and all the things. I will screw it up if I say it here because it's not in my notes where I can get to it easy. But please sign up for the Big Bloody Talent Show. It's going to be awesome. Program hey. notes. Links in the program notes. That's all she had to say. It's cool. I've been doing this job for like two years. And when you're finished with us over here at Bloodstream, there's a new episode of Flow, which I happen to think is a very good episode of Flow. Once again, Christy and uh, Jess are joined by Dr. Melissa Holmes from Girlology, who tackles the question, what are hormones and what do hormones do in the body? And I'll be honest with you, I was the one that asked for this episode because hormones baffle me and they rule my life. Well, that's intent. Did you learn something? I did. And I actually asked a couple questions that I wasn't like. You're, so, you're just perked up. If you could see it on the live stream, I you do. just perked up. I asked a couple questions. I did. I'm, I'm not supposed to, you know, I'm not on that show. No, you're obviously. on this show, Amy. I know I'm on this show, but I produced that show. So I'm usually like the silent, you know, recorder sure. in the back. Like I do technical stuff. Oh, Another moment of, sp- you're so, really proud today. I'm just saying, but anyway, I 100% clicked that unmute and I was like, there was a lull in the conversation. I was like, hey, I got a question. Nice. Just jumping right in there. I'll be honest. I would have asked the same questions. Okay, great. I don't know what hormones are. Like I kind of know, you know what I mean? But you know like, what? I don't know what hormones and you know are. What? I don't even know about dude hormones. Like I don't even, I don't know about lady hormones, but I have no idea what your situation is. Maybe we should bring someone on this podcast so to talk anyway. about it. Hmm. All right. Well, it's great. Check out episode of, of Flow. Sounds like someone needs to do that. That someone's me. And uh, as we just mentioned, you'll find links to Flow, the Big Bloody Talent Show, and anything else that we might speak about here today in the program notes. Click the bit.ly slash all bloodstream stuff hyperlink. Again, that's bit.ly slash all bloodstream stuff. And as always, if you've got a topic that you'd like to hear Amy and I discuss, have an expert that you are dying to hear from, or if you want to inquire about casting opportunities with Bloodstream Media and Believe Limited, connect with Bloodstream on social media or email mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. And this is where there would be a transitional sound effect if it wasn't the live recording. So maybe we should make one. Okay, so we can't just skip by this traumatizing lunch situation. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be honest with you. I was there, and it's great. If he wasn't going to bring it up, I would have made him bring it up. It was... Okay. A few years ago in India, <laughs> I had a meal okay. that up until that point was the most challenging meal I'd ever had to consume <laughs> in my life. I made the mistake of emphasizing to my server in Mumbai that I would like the pad thai, quick pause, ordering Thai food in India. Just put that together. I've heard this story. That's that I would funny. like it as spicy as possible. And when okay. he looked at me like, okay. You, you heard what you said? <laughs> as spicy as possible? I uh-huh. said, that's right, sir. As spicy as possible. And he said, okay. And then came back. And then I proceeded to have a few bites of lunch, but mostly visit the bathroom over and over and over again because everything was emptying out of my face. My right. my eyes, my nose, my I feel like my ears were omitting right. something. That was topped by earlier, like five hours ago. <laughs> I've known that Howl and Rays, and this is not, they don't sponsor the podcast, and I don't even right. know if this is supportive of them. Right. But I've known that they're, I mean, their name's Howl. Okay. Howl and Rays is a 
staple yes. hot chicken place here in Los Angeles. Correct. When I first came to work for Believe and moved to Los Angeles, it was a huge – we had a staff lunch to only – the only reason why we had a staff lunch was to introduce <laughs> me to Howlin' Race. And at the time, pre-pandemic, you couldn't have it delivered. You had to send someone to stand in line. You couldn't pre-order. You had to stand in line. It's around the block. It's a huge deal. And it was, it's an incredible – sandwich but they have you know classic hot sandwich they have like a menu of hotness of the chicken okay so i i like hot i like chicken sandwiches i like hot spicy stuff right i was like great i'm doing howl and race by the way i tried three times in the last two weeks to get from howl and race <laughs> That's the other part. previous two were completely unsuccessful today <laughs> so he's tried three times this week to get howl and race. i ordered it at 9 30 in the morning <laughs> Just to be safe. And I got Natalie a sandwich. And I didn't even get her a different level of hot. Because yeah. I figured I don't want to be, I don't want jealousy being a thing yeah. here. We both like hot stuff. So I ordered. He also picked it up from the, the delivery man during a very important client call, which made me laugh. That's like true. on the phone with the client, like very professional, making sure that he got his howling race. But that delivery guy was a pro too, because I he know. could see what was happening yes. and wasn't trying to have a conversation yes. with me. He's like, and let's do this quick handoff. You're just simple transaction. toggling a mute button right now. I'm with you. And so I'm that guy, I was really digging him for our two second inter interaction. <laughs> howling is the hottest <laughs> of the hot temperatures that you can okay. order the lunch sandwich sure, at. Sure, sure, sure. I went with two howling sandwiches. Again, one for me and one for my <laughs> lovely wife. Amy, I'm not kidding. I had two bites. <laughs> I had two bites and then I suffered quietly at my desk. My eyes were watering. My mouth mm -hmm. was just producing. It wasn't even like, I don't know what it was. It wasn't yeah. blood. It wasn't saliva. A new liquid <laughs> was created in response to this sandwich and emerged from my mouth. I was sweating. Mm -hmm. I still feel it in my chest. I'm oh still, God. I'm not over it. This was literally five hours ago. I probably still, look, I got their things right here. <laughs> they gave me these. I should have known when I saw these. What is that? Oh, actually, I have more what is that? Napkins. And here's the other thing they do. <gasps> They give you gloves. They give you gloves. So I saw these and I went, oh, gloves, and just threw them aside because that wasn't the food I wanted. In hindsight, this is a warning. Oh, my God. I didn't get it at all. I just figured, oh, yeah, you always get chicken sandwiches with gloves. Right. That's a normal thing that happens to people. So I had to go into the bathroom. I stopped by Amy's office. I stood in her doorway and I just cried. Literally, I was just crying. Literally, I couldn't do anything. He had no color in his face. He was crying every, like every <laughs> terrible orifice of his face was leaking. True. And then he just goes, this was so funny. He In panic, he was like, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Completely true. I was paralyzed. And it's horrifying that I laughed. I laughed immediately. No, like thank I God wasn't you laughed. sympathetic at all. Like I laughed. It was so funny. And I'm sorry. It was so terrible. I was, was rubbing my tongue with paper towel like I was a cartoon <laughs> character and like who had never had this experience before. I was like, I didn't know how to do it. I had water, Listerine, and coffee going. I actually told him, I go, should you go stick your head under the faucet? Like, is that a thing? And I thought about that too. I thought about all of it. It was so... That was a lot for me today. So yes, it's a hot day in sunny California, but my goodness, that has a different meaning for me here today. I'm still recovering. My mouth is still tingling. I still have some feeling like right here that's a little bit different. Oh, yeah. There's my diaphragm. There's something going on. So this is going to be, and I still have two sandwiches minus two bites to do with what I have no idea. Like, I don't know 
how you're going to do that. I don't know what to do with the sandwiches. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't even want to give them to someone. What's I would I put them in the tier? hospital. Oh my gosh. What's the top tier of hotness that you do at Howlin' Rays normally? I don't It's been years. I, I, oh. Next time, mild, extra mild, like whiff it near me. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> so mild's the bottom rung, but Ryan said today, like which makes rungs. me laugh, that he's like, they shame you a little bit because like if you check mild, it's like a blue circle and everything else is like a shade of red. So they like legitimately shame, but which makes you, me laugh. I'm glad they do that because if I you know. mixed up howling with whatever the blue is, most mild, uh, you, you could cause a medical emergency. So, all right, we probably need to move on. I don't think that was intended to be quite that long. I'm sure Greg's loving the length of this segment, <laughs> but it was just important to get that. I couldn't go anywhere without first somehow expunging that as best as I could. So Howlin' Rays, Howlin Rays. I don't know what to do with you. I, I, I'll try again, I guess, eventually. In but... Los Angeles, California. Don't miss it. Don't <laughs> choose Howlin' unless you have a death sentence. Oh my goodness. Speaking of food items, I actually have a piece about a food item with statistics Oh, okay. that I think it's important for us to share. Love I read a piece in the New York Times about coffee and I think it will blow your mind. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, my mind's a little blown already, especially the food de bev department, but Great. I'm ready because I love coffee. Great. And this is exciting. Great. I learned something incredible okay. and I have statistics to prove it. So you're just going to have to let me do this. Let's go, Bordo. You do it. I okay. wouldn't stop you. Not okay. like this. Great. I'm so excited about it. So there was an article in the New York Times that says coffee. That's a big newspaper. It's a very big newspaper. <laughs> Some people might be, oh, no, 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 but just stay with They've me. They've been doing it for a long time. I know. Coffee apparently, has a litany of health benefits. What? And consuming coffee, and not just like a cup a day, we'll talk about like the amount of coffee, but consuming coffee has been linked to a reduced risk. <laughs> this is crazy. Get this bulleted list. Okay. It has been linked to a reduced risk of all kinds of ailments, including Parkinson's disease, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, wow. gallstones, Ooh. which is a thing, mm -hmm. depression, suicide, Whoa. cirrhosis, liver cancer, melanoma, and prostate cancer. Coffee reduces the probability of these reduces things? Reduces it. I'm doing great, Amy. I know. And it's not just like a little, you know, flimsy study. Get this. In fact, numerous studies conducted okay. throughout the world, not Big just place. the United States, say that consuming four to five eight ounce cups of coffee a day. Easy. No problem. Has been associated with reduced death rates in a study of more than 200,000 participants followed for up to 30 years who drank three to five cups of coffee a day. Which, pause, what a commitment. Right? <laughs> 30 years of committing to three to five cups a day. Right? I applaud these people. It's these... a gene therapy trial. <laughs> We're 15% less likely to die early from all causes than people who shunned coffee. I don't know what to do with that. It's insane to me. And I'm psyched because I love coffee. It is a part of me. It's yes. like the one thing. And I've thought about it. Like, you know, as we get older, we have to start thinking about the things that we're going to cut out. Right. I mean, know. we have to at least think about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> True. We have to at least think about it. And coffee is the one thing that I don't think I'd be able to do. And Same. I've thought about it because like digestive stuff and I, I just refuse to do it. I'm going to do everything that I can. I think now it looks like you should continue. You should probably have more. I'm going to have more three to five cups of coffee a day. But I, what I don't understand, though, I, I feel like my entire life, all I've heard is that drinking coffee, especially in excess, is yes. going to cause ailments. It's going to cause yes. problems, heart disease, stroke, reflux, these things, insomnia. Yes. Like, yes. It's only a cause of. So what, what happened? What's the deal? When did it change? Well, there's a very fancy guy with, you know, 
all the things that was quoted in this article. His name is Dr. Walter Willett. He is a professor of nutrition and, oh no, uh, epidemiology. (laughs) (laughs) Too many syllables in that one. At Harvard uh, School of Public Health. Public Health. Anyway, and he says (laughs) these periodic scares have given the public a very distorted view and that overall, despite various concerns that have cropped up over the years, coffee, coffee is remarkably safe and has a number of important health benefits remarkably safe dr willett said huh remarkably safe although this article does reaffirm that coffee will mess with your sleep because that is legit and shouldn't be taken lightly and i love my sleep yeah and that part is sometimes i'm like how come i'm having trouble sleeping and i remind myself of my coffee consumption right so uh, coffee naysayers i'll give you that one but i feel like i'm a little bothered actually because i feel like my entire life i was lied to so (laughs) i i don't know when did you start drinking coffee great question uh college with a bunch of sugar and now i drink it black that yeah that's my journey i drink it mostly black as well i started when i was like 13 maybe maybe 14 maybe 12 mm. but my mom worked nights my whole life growing mm-hmm. up and so she'd wake up at like four in the afternoon and my grandmother would like have a pot of coffee going and 4 30 ish you know with a 15 minute window around there is the time every day that like my mom my grandmother would be in one spot, things were chill, people were sitting down, people weren't sleeping or getting something ready. So as soon as I was like old enough to kind of sort of meander into the kitchen and be like, can I maybe chocolate? I did, you yeah. know? And so I started drinking it real young. And then I was into, I like you, you know, theater yeah. and college and stuff. Yep. So a lot of long days and late nights. And so yep. a lot of coffee consumption. But I feel like all along this coffee journey that I've been on now for over 20 years, <laughs> all I've heard about is how it's not good for I me. I know. And, and I've never like... believed it. I've never in my <gasps> bones believed it. I swear to God. Oh. So hearing, I've never believed it. There's, you know, those things where it's like, we had something actually recently, not too long ago with Vivian, where like we thought maybe something was wrong with her. And I was yeah. like, I don't believe this. And then sure enough, we figured out, oh, we have a faulty piece of equipment. Mm. And it was like, yeah, instinct is a real thing. It's informed yeah. by stuff. Yeah. I have never actually believed that when I'm consuming my coffee, hey, product placement, bloodstream mug, ha ha ha, that I'm doing anything but enjoying a cup of coffee yeah. and it's good for me. Yeah. I so connect it with um, the morning and, um, and like uh, spiritual time, quiet time, mm. writing time, and then uh, the best, like the most relaxed conversational time. I've yeah. always enjoyed uh, going out to breakfast and having a cup of coffee with my parents. And we, we that's like the best time of day for all of us to be at our most relaxed. I enjoy that with my partner as well. And yeah. so I just, I don't know, coffee is important to me. Yeah, it's got a cultural stand. Like, it's more than just a, a, a beverage. So yeah. I'm really into this article. I love how big, too, that study. 200,000 people over 30 years. That's crazy. I know. I'm going to tell you one more statistic that's going to transition into our mental health. Oh, my goodness. Um, I know. What a pro. I know. I didn't get, like, where you should go to get all the things. Like you made up for But it, I though. got this uh, transition. So I guess I keep my job today. <laughs> Perhaps the most dramatic of all the things in the coffee article was a 50% reduction in the risk of suicide among both men and women who are moderate coffee drinkers, perhaps by boosting production of brain chemicals that have antidepressant effects. Wow. Wow. And it also like perhaps, right? So that suggests that, you know, we don't, without digging into the details, it's suggestive there that we don't have enough research to support it, but there's something that's at least indicative that, oh, maybe this is true. It seems like common sense. And it also feels like we just never... We just never know anything about anything. <laughs> we never know anything about it. We need more studies on everything. It's really true. We really don't. I know you're in this room next to me, I and that's know, about and the that's extent of it. it. <laughs> Which I love. 
love, which I love, but I love that about science because science truly starts with, I don't know anything about this. Let's figure it out, which yeah. I think is great. Yeah. I think is really great. So let's transition. Let's go to Let's Talk, okay. which is great, which is one of my favorite things that we do here on Bloodstream. Same Today here. on Let's Talk segment, film cinematographer and segment host and one of my favorite people in the world, Joshua Bragg, mm-hmm. is going to highlight some of the barriers that prevents people from coming forward and talking about anxiety, stress, and whatever might be going on with them, which is legitimate. I mean, I, I really think that this is legitimate, kind of developing that language and feeling mm-hmm. comfortable to be able to share what's going on inside. Using stories from the Believe Limited film Let's Talk, um, along with his own personal experiences, Josh explores what barriers like these are in the first place and offers up some ideas of what we can do about them. I feel like I'm still just having like <laughs> things trickle that I don't know if it's like still happening or if I just re-traumatize myself a little bit. But I'm just going to have to keep going. Let's talk as a partnership between Bloodstream Media and Sanofi Genzyme and aims to create an environment where we can have open and honest conversations about mental health in the bleeding disorders community. For people living with or caring for someone with a bleeding disorder, the impact on mental health is largely invisible and not often discussed. Mm. Let's Talk shares tips on how to care for your or someone you love's mental health and strives to eliminate the stigma associated with this discussion, especially within the bleeding disorders community. And now for the segment, over to Josh with Let's Talk. How do I put into words anything, anything at all? I've mentioned before I have social anxiety, and it's a really bizarre combination to pair that with hosting a bloodstream segment and having my own podcast and YouTube show and TikTok presence. I have to put my thoughts into words every single day, and it gives me a lot of stress. I often feel imposter syndrome or fear that I'm going to slip up and say the wrong thing. And this is a low stakes situation. I have editors and a team to help brainstorm and review my work. If I stress out about this, just imagine for a second how stressful it can be to actually talk to a professional, like a doctor, for example, especially when I've had previous experiences with medical professionals that felt dismissive or pushy. Well, for me, I know there's one thing I can do that will help reduce the stress and make the entire interaction much more manageable. Let's talk. You always go through stages, I guess, in life. You know, um, when I was 18 years old and I had my daughter and my wife, I was young. Uh, I was kind of scared. You know, at the time I was... a. Uh, you know, 18 and still involved in the gangs. I thought I was a very a hard ass. I thought I was uh, tough. I n- never thought that something, you know, could kind of soften me up in a way, you know, make me feel good inside, give me some burst of hope in a way. This is Ivan speaking from our film, Let's Talk Mental Health. My dad was uh, a macho, you could say. Felt like he ruled the house and everything had to be done his way. That's kind of the mentality I, I had growing up. You know, I had to be tough, and that's why I guess the gang life was, was, I felt like I wanted to be there. You know, felt tough, released that anger. We didn't really talk about our emotions at home. That's something very important. You need to be able to communicate with your children about their emotions and how it helped them learn to express them and talk about them, right? It took me a while. It took me a little longer to kind of learn how to manage these these issues and situations because um, I had to learn this all on my own. I didn't have guidance from my parents. How we are raised can put a lot of friction on our ability to open up and talk as adults. 
If we don't develop the language as kids, if we don't grow up with a level of transparency and disclosure from our parents, it can make it truly, truly challenging to learn that valuable skill later in life. We often associate this reluctance to share with the straight male persona, and that can be true, but all genders and identities can come with their own barriers, and so do different cultures. Listen to Esther speak about this later in our film. Culturally, being um, of Mexican descent, um, we hold a lot of things in. We don't speak of any issues because um, we're... I, I don't even know how to say it in English exactly. We're chismosos. One person tells the story and it just snowballs into a bigger story. So if you can control the narrative by not saying anything, you don't give them anything to snowball into something great. I've even told my daughters and, and I now I realize that's my cultural baggage of me saying, don't tell all your friends. There's no reason to tell them. And I did tell them that when they were 10 and 11 years old. Um, but I was taking away a little bit of their healing process. You reach out to friends and you tell them what's up because you need support. I took it away from them. It, it, it was part of my baggage of, we didn't. We don't talk about those things. Uh, we, we just didn't grow up where you tell everybody your problem, your household problems, you just don't. And now we're, we're sort of easing up on that and saying, it's your story. And to my daughter saying, if you need to tell someone, or if you feel compelled to tell someone, you tell someone. No matter how they appear or where they come from, these barriers are common for most of us. But how do we break through these barriers? How do we develop the language to share, to be open, to be vulnerable when we know we need to? It's not easy. And there's no real correct answer other than you have to work at it. But I can tell you what works for me. I write. I don't journal, which I know can be helpful for a lot of people. But for me personally, I write stories. I like being able to put a character I made up into a situation to see how they deal with it. I can write out any scenario I want. I can build confrontations. I can turn simple fears into monsters. I can even work out a worst case scenario and kill off my character. And most importantly, I can erase it anytime I want and change the outcome. But Josh, I don't write like that. Well, that's okay. That's just how I do it. It's my language. But there are core values in there, I think, that are universally helpful when it comes to developing your own language. I see them as three main phases, exploring, planning, and repetition. Let's break them down a little bit further. Exploring for me is just sitting and thinking out a scenario, trying to see all the different ways it can plan out, every single one. And what I'm looking to get out of the exploring phase is to identify the outcome that I want so that I can set it as a solid goal. In the planning phase, I begin writing down ideas as they come to mind, collecting and organizing them in a way that helps guide me from my starting point right here and now, all the way to my preferred conclusion. And the repetition phase is the process of writing the story for me. I go over and over my plan, my path to the conclusion, until I feel confident that I can get there with as few issues as possible. 
The process helps me protect myself against all the unwanted outcomes, preparing myself emotionally, planning possible pivots in my plan to get around obstacles that might get in my way, or simply being prepared with questions in case I'm up against an obstacle that I can't navigate on my own. No path is truly straight and narrow, and you can't plan for everything, and you won't always get exactly what you want. But by developing your language ahead of time through exploring, planning, and repetition, when it comes time to have the important conversation with a friend, a relative, or a doctor, you will be armed with all the right tools to help guide the conversation towards your preferred conclusion. And look, I'm no expert. I'm just a guy living with anxiety in an increasingly connected world doing my best to do my best. I hope this helps. Thank you, Amy and Patrick, for having me on to talk and explore these topics. You can join me over the next few months as I work my way through our film and talk about the stuff that really pops, the important stuff, the tough stuff. And my promise to you is it'll never get too scary. If you want access to some incredible mental health resources, you want to explore the film on your own, or you just want to dig deeper yourself, please go check out letstalkmh.com and click resources. And I'll see you on the next episode. All right. Thank you, Josh, for that excellent segment. If you or someone that you know has experienced feelings that have impacted your mental health, talk to your healthcare provider and find educational resources at letstalkmh.com. Thank you, Sanofi Genzyme, for making Let's Talk possible. And Josh will be back next month for another Let's Talk segment. And with that, Amy Board, where do we go next oh my gosh i can't believe this is the first time that we're having these guys on the show yeah that's it is kind of like a huh well it took a while but yeah um sean and kyle have um, a podcast called the two disabled dudes and i saw them years ago facilitate uh, a keynote i believe at the global genes summit in san diego <laughs> love i mean they're wonderful why they're wonderful they're charismatic they're they're just they're um they're disarming and they're they they speak about like substantive things in a really charming way that makes you um think and laugh and they have tons of compassion and they're great they're yeah. really wonderful and so i can't believe a you got to talk to them and i didn't which is finally it's fine <laughs> um but i can't wait for our audience to get to know them more I think you were marked as optional on the calendar invite for that interview, no, I Amy. Was not there was she wasn't. No, I was just trying to make a joke. I thought she might go along with it, but it's not true. She just wasn't invited. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll probably talk to them again. It was the first time yeah. Kyle, Sean, and I ever spoke. So what you're about to hear is the first time we talked. We never talked off mic before, yeah. so that was kind of fun to like literally meet them, fellow you know rare disease people yeah. and podcasters on a podcast interview in real time. That was yeah. kind of fun. So yeah, let's play that interview. And then Amy, uh, Amy and I will come back and do all that reacting we promised and uh, we'll go from there. So here they are, Kyle and Sean from the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. Joined now by Sean Baumstark and Kyle A. Bryant, the creators and hosts of the Two Disabled Dudes podcast. It's a pleasure to have you guys on. Thanks for being with me here on Bloodstream today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Sean, I was listening to the most recent episode at the time that we're recording this titled mm. Sean Hates the Gym this morning. Oh, yeah. And I found it equal parts entertaining, informative, <laughs> kind of frustrating, but also like in a motivating, <laughs> activating way, which I think is good. So I think that makes for a good podcast. Um, congratulations. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, man. Wow. That's an experience. I'm going to, I'll be honest, I didn't double check the title Kyle landed on. But I just want to clarify that I hate my gym, not just the gym in general, but I, I had some frustrating experiences with my gym recently. 
which you can hear all about on the episode. Um, <laughs> like I said, it is uh, equal parts entertaining and informative. Half of our show is just us complaining about things, so it's good. It's kind and of how fun. would you characterize the other half? I, I would say the other half is very uplifting and empowering. You know, I I think it. I point back to our tagline: it's life beyond circumstances, and that's kind of what our focus is. You know, whether those circumstances are rare disease or financial troubles or whatever it is. Focusing on our goals in life and what we want to accomplish and the good things in life rather than those things that drag us down. That's all cute and warm and fuzzy, but I would have to say the other half is strictly because we have guests. If we didn't have guests, it would be just us complaining the entire time. So was that the inspiration for the show you guys met? We're like, we love complaining together? Or what, what did inspire the show to... <laughs> It's the first start. What back in 2016 you started at the end of 2016? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we were in this movie called The Attack, and we did a big bike race from San Diego to Memphis. And um, the filmmakers did an incredible job with the film, and we're really proud of it. And you know, we're watching it and just going, you know what? There's there's principles in this film that we need to talk about on a regular basis. And it might make good content that other people might want to listen to also. So that's that's kind of the genesis of the podcast. Had you guys met each other before the film, or was that what first linked you to one another? Yeah, we met a long, a few years before the bike race, and then, of course, the film came out years later, but... We met when I was first diagnosed with FA, way back when we lived in the same city in Northern California, and after I was diagnosed, of course, went to Google and started doing a little bit of research and came across local news stories on Kyle and realized we're the same age, same city, and he had just done this big bike race uh, or bike ride and so he's all over the news, so I hunted him down, I don't know, through Facebook or something similar. I don't even know if Facebook was around back then, honestly. But anyway, I hunted him down and said, dude, uh, you're my new best friend. What am I What am I up against? And we met for a beer and a pizza <laughs> a couple of days later or a couple of weeks later. And from there, we've just connected on a very similar mantra in life and that's living beyond whatever challenge we're up against and what's unfolded is uh, almost 15 years of friendship now. Sean you started that mentioning that when you were diagnosed that's what led you to find Kyle. Kyle I'm wondering maybe can you describe for our audience Friedrich's ataxia or FA as you heard Sean just refer to it. Uh, in a nutshell what is FA? Yeah, it, so it's a neuromuscular disease that affects all muscle coordination from the toes to the fingertips. And it also has symptoms such as diabetes, scoliosis, vision loss, hearing loss, and life-shortening compl heart complications. And so, you know, there's a wide spectrum of symptoms and a wide spectrum of the way it affects someone just like a lot of other rare diseases. And so like I was diagnosed when I was 17 
Sean was diagnosed when he was 26, but a lot of kids are diagnosed when they're like age five. And those kids do not have as good of outcomes as we do. And that's what we're trying to change with a lot of fundraising and, um, and research and awareness is that situation. You know, you just on your show had a drug development series, which I want to talk to you a little bit more about. But in one of the episodes leading up to it, Kyle, you were talking about how since you were diagnosed, and I think it was 1998, uh, that almost yep. this entire time since you've been raising funds and driving awareness for FA. And why does it take so long for things to happen? And how I think, Sean, you brought up on that episode on the heels of the vaccine for COVID coming out where we can we see how quickly something can be developed in certain circumstances. Uh, I'm curious, after that drug development series, what did you learn that kind of helped address that question of why is it taking so long? I think one of the main things on a broad scope is that drug development is really complicated. And at every single little point, there's so many decisions that need to be made and, and heavy decisions. And it's not co a cookie cutter. There's no like one way to do it. And so every single time there are decisions to be made and those are made differently by different people. And, um, you know, luckily we have some really good leaders in the rare disease community that are really helping guide the ship, but it's really complicated. What stood out for you, Sean, from the series? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I love the way Barbara Tate explained, especially in relation to COVID, the science or the foundation for vaccines has been around for, I forget now, but a couple centuries, right? That's not new. But when you, when you look at rare disease and so many conditions where it's only been 10, 20, 30, 40 years that the cause or the root line cause was discovered. So in a sense, vaccines, one, one thing because the, the foundation has been around forever, but especially when you think about COVID, the entire world was tackling that issue. Whereas in the rare disease community, Things have only been around for a couple decades or a few decades, and they're very niche. Not everybody's putting their best effort behind it. So I, what I loved about hearing the different people talk about their element of our series was how committed and passionate they are, even though it's a lot of work and it's taking a lot of time and a lot of money. Everybody is so honed in on their thing, and I that gives me hope that someday we're, you know, y y down the road, we're going to be centuries behind a strong foundation to where a lot of rare diseases are cured faster and in more reliable ways. I know, and I've gotten the chance to meet scientists and researchers from some of the companies working on drugs or therapies for hemophilia. There are those moments of being like, oh, you're a super nerd. I'm really glad you're into my thing because you clearly <laughs> love this to an unhealthy degree. I love you. <laughs> so, I, I want you on my team every day. And those people are out there. And um, those behind the scenes looks, they, some, they'll introduce you to those people sometimes. Uh, what is the current state of science for FA? 
So we've got a lot of clinical trials in process right now and a lot queued up. You know, we've had some readouts recently from clinical trials and stuff ongoing in the pipeline and stuff too. And one of the keys that's been a game changer, I think, in the last five years or so is that there's a ton of investment into FA research, a lot of dollars, you know, and, and I think with that comes brilliant people as well, right? Like companies hire the best people with the money they have, right? And so I think that we're building a lot of momentum with the foundation, like Sean said, that we have in basic science, you know, and then leading into clinical and lots of effort into biomarkers and endpoints, which is always the, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the, the rainbow, you know, the elusive like endpoint that's gonna solve everything. You know, we've got a lot of research and thought into that. And so I think, the Friedrichs Ataxi Research Alliance is very strategic. There's a plan and that plan is always being molded. Everything is very intentional and we've got a really strong foundation and we're moving forward as fast as possible. As far as the show goes, I know that in addition to the podcast, you have what I believe are called forums where you guys, and I've seen your names on things from Global Genes at events where you're the, the hosts of a symposium of sorts or, or what have you. Um, what kind of work like that have you done? And is that stuff that you're hopeful to do more of when the world has opened up a bit more? We've done all kinds. And like you've mentioned, Global Genes was one of our the most fun we've had, there was a big room, you know, pre-COVID, there were a ton of people and we just had some incredible participants on stage with us that just made it easy for us to, I guess, look good, if you will. Uh, so we've been able to do that a sure. lot with pharma companies as well. And that's kind of been the, the more, I don't want to say more significant, but definitely significant piece because... You know, all these scientists, they're nerds, right? They hide in a closet all day or they hide in a lab and, and they really yeah. <laughs> get to experience the patient. And what's been exciting for us, for me personally, with the forum, is being able to connect with researchers and scientists and to remind them of just how important their work is and how much we value what they bring to the table like you said if they if they weren't on our team we probably wouldn't have a team right so uh, that's been the <laughs> yeah. most yeah. significant element for me yeah i also think you know we love to moderate panels with other patients and we're able to get at the the questions and the answers that the researchers and scientists and drug developers need to more quickly move their therapies forward and so you know it's real tangible value i think when you put patients and scientists and drug developers together and they can interface in a way like this 
So I know you guys just finished up your most recent season of the show. We mentioned the drug development series, which I think took place across the month of April. If you want to scroll back in your podcast feed, are there any other episodes that stand out to you from the most recent season that perhaps a new listener might uh, like to find themselves listening to? I'm going to recommend episode 140. Our guest, her name was Shelly Bowen, and her brother deals with all kinds of issues and, and developmental challenges. And Shelly just sat down and had a really heartfelt conversation about her work raising and helping with her brother and the advocacy stuff that she does full time. And it was just a very heartwarming conversation with a southern gal who was really good in front of our microphone so uh, just from the personal touch side of it i recommend episode 140 from season five i i 100 percent agree with sean also at the beginning of season five we had uh, quite a few conversations where it was just me and Sean. We do love to have guests, but it's also very refreshing to just have a conversation and, you know, think of a topic that's been on our mind and just make fun of each other and laugh about things and, and really solve the world's problems between the two of us. <laughs> You've done, I think, almost 150 episodes. What have you each learned about yourselves and maybe if you want to be so bold about each other across those 150 episodes uh whoever would like to take that big swing first well i think you know i don't know that we learned like we knew this but i think it's become more clear that we are very different in many ways <laughs> and partly i think that's a really good thing sure. because you know, we come to the table from different perspectives and we, you know, we really round out the whole picture with, with our perspectives, hopefully, but yeah. Right now, just, just for fun, I'll give Kyle a hard time. You know, we've recently have, have made it a, a known point that Kyle works better with the script, right? He, he prefers things to be outlined and just recently over the last couple of weeks, you know, we have taken the time to to write scripts, but those don't seem to help either. So right now I just don't know what Kyle needs. <laughs> but I will say on on a more intimate level for me personally, it's cliche and people say it all the time, there's always something to learn. But I feel like that has been front and center because of the podcast when when i have a conversation with kyle or a guest or when we're contemplating these challenges or issues in life i realize where i walk away recognizing that i learned something that i had never even thought about and i i feel like those conversations and those moments have certainly enriched life for me personally mm. Uh, so the show, again, is called the Two Disabled Dudes Podcast. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. They're on social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, twodisableddudes.com. If you want to go to the website to learn more about the show, the forums that we spoke briefly about, um, anything that people can look forward to coming up in the, in the fall when the new season comes out. Any plans or does that start once the summer hits and you've actually gotten to take a break first? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we'll take a step back over the next few months and and uh, plan out the next season. But, you know, it's always fun to figure out and to think of new things and, and new perspectives, new ways to approach stuff. Well, I appreciate you both coming on very much. It's been a pleasure. I, as I said, I enjoy the show. So keep it up and hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you. This is great. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Well, thanks again to Kyle and Sean for that really enjoyable conversation. Bordo, so uh, what, what's sticking with you from that? Oh, so many things. So many things. We could like go on a list. But I think the first thing that stuck with me is living beyond your circumstances. And I kind of mm. just wanted to ask you a little bit, what does that mean to you about living beyond your circumstances? You know, I've been thinking about that following this conversation. And um, we talk about how hemophilia doesn't define mm -hmm. me, right? That's a slogan that we hear. And I'm always, I'm a little, I have mixed feelings about that because I feel as though that kind of attitude can be a little bit dangerous because, okay, it doesn't define you, but it is a defining characteristic of you, as mm -hmm. are many other things, but you can't neglect this one just out of a sense of self-empowerment. Right. I much prefer the idea of living beyond circumstances. So like, it doesn't have to limit me. I can live beyond the, the circumstances that I'm handed medically, the circumstances of this moment. I can live in my aspirations and my imagination and my um, work on myself to, to do more to be better. So I, I really like the idea of thinking about living beyond as opposed to I'm not defined by or this mm -hmm. thing, because it, it sort of like forces me to first accept like where mm -hmm. I am, but then mm -hmm. to make a decision from that place to move, move beyond it. So absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been thinking about since talking to these guys about this very thing. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate it because I think um, it is such a, it can be, I think for, for a caregiver and I think for a patient, it can be debilitating in a way where you're stuck under a rock or, and you think you can't get out. Right. And I know that, um, you know, I'm aware that there, there will be those times and it kind of ebbs and flows, but it is such a worthy journey to, um, I think try to get, you know, on top of that rock and realize that, you know, I might be standing on it, but it, it'll never go away. Um, and, you know, it might make me wobble, but, you know, I'll start to learn more about myself. What a worthy journey. And I will be supported if I can connect with other people who share some of this experience with me. Like my journey, my personal journey has improved if I have a connection to a community of people yeah. who can relate to it, who can support me, whom I can support under the yeah. right circumstances. Like it was interesting to hear Sean mention that when he and Kyle first connected, it was like, okay, what am I up against? My yes. new best friend. Yes. And and we heard not dissimilar from Av Avantika on last week's episode of the podcast talking yes. about why she started her rare disease podcast yes. in India. It's because they're just there wasn't something out there. And then when I asked her what she learned about it, she learned how many other people were out there like her and the connecting to them and what that meant to her. Yes. That theme seems pervasive across all kinds of rare diseases, the connecting to other people who share that life experience. Yes. And I think it's because as you're saying, when you're on that journey, the ground will wobble underneath you. There's mm -hmm. curves you don't know how to manage, but having other people mm -hmm. helps. I agree. I agree. And it, you know, it bleeds into, it bleeds ah, into this one. This one. <laughs> Where do guess. we find them? Um, but it does bleed into the larger conversation of representation and really truly mm. being able to, um, 
to see that across spheres that anyone can do anything and uh, to connect in that way, how important, you know, and how validating I can't begin. I mean, we, we, we could list off a number of stories that the second that they realized that they were not alone, they weren't the only one feeling this. I mean, yeah. it's just different. And we see that at hemophilia camp. I mean, that's why hemophilia camp is so special. It, it's just this. I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. It is undescribable how important it is to just be around kids like you for one week a year and to just be normal. I, I, I may still do this, but I wanted to work on a documentary about my camp at some point that was called Five Days and a Breakfast. Oh. Because for 359 days a year as a kid, I would look forward to five, five days, days and a breakfast, breakfast where I felt like I was at my home. Oh. And the rest of the year was life. Yeah. But five days and a breakfast, I connected with other people who got it. We should do that. I wouldn't mind. Oh, I can't say. Well, I was going to say a thing I can't say, but I can't say it. Oh, I was going to say, if anyone would like to give us a lot of money to be able to do this. Oh, yeah, we could say that. Sure. So we have the, oh, we're pitching now. We're pitching at the yeah. end of the podcast. We want to do that. And it's very important. Five days and a breakfast. Last thing I, w- I want to touch on, because I know we're coming up on our time. Um, and I think it was Kyle who spoke about this most explicitly. But the importance of patients being connected to the drug developers mm-hmm. and to really all the stakeholders involved mm-hmm. in the creation of these treatments mm-hmm. in the distribution of them and the paying of them and the managing of the patients who need them. Um, the more we're in conversation with each other, the better. And as I was reflecting on this interview and preparing for this moment, I was thinking about what we've talked with, about with gene therapy over the last number of years, how as, it, as we're preparing for this moment where it is going to be a reality and then across all disease states, it's going to exponentially just grow it's important that all stakeholders are aligned on, okay, well, what, how are we rolling it out? How is it managed? What does it cost? What is the expectation? We can't work in our individual silos on these kinds of things. We need to be in the conversation together. And I think it's, well, I know it's easy to say we are patient centric Mm -hmm. or we value the patient voice or we Mm -hmm. put the patient at the front of what we do. Mm -hmm. And I think most companies and individuals who say that frankly believe it, But I would, I would really, I guess, as a patient, I guess I would ask all of those companies and individuals to, you know, take a sober look under the hood mm-hmm. at how are you pulling that through executionally? How are you right. pulling that through everything you're doing, making sure that the patient and the right. patient voice and perspective truly stay centered? Because I think if you are working on stuff in FA yeah. and you're not taking insights from people like Kyle and Sean, right. you're making a major mistake. Right. So I don't know how you can actually optimize what is provided to patients if you're not doing that. And, I, and I'm not responding to like some, it, it, it's, right. this isn't to say it's not happening because right. I do think this is happening and it has been happening more in the last 10 right. years that I've been very active in all this, but I don't think we can get complacent. We have to keep fighting for the importance right. of that patient voice being front and center. Right. And I guess I'll take it from the other side. Um, you know, we throw the term patient advocate around in the hemophilia and bleeding source community a lot. Yeah. But sometimes I think almost that word, especially advocacy, we've talked about this a lot. It can get stale. And it's also like, what in the world does that what does mean? It mean? And I think, you know, to remember that the only reason that there is drug development in ultra rare genetic disorders right now is because parents and patients made it happen, actually made a researcher aware that this thing even exists. So in hemophilia, we don't have that problem. We have a lot of researchers, 
lot of people that are working very hard. It is their life's passion to provide treatments that will enable your cho- your chosen lifestyle, which is incredible. And it's up to us as patients and patient advocates to make sure that our voice is a part of the process. And so it's a two-way street. And sometimes I, just, I think we think of patient advocacy and, you know, it's like we don't really do anything. And every time that you share a story, you share an anecdote, you show up to one of those ad board meetings that we've all done, you know, all <laughs> those things. You, you talk to somebody in the hallway at a Marriott, you know, yeah. um, remember those things add up and like those those seep into people's really DNA. Do. And so um, like you're doing good work and to just continue to do that. And I've heard explicitly about stuff that I've been without getting into specifics, but I've been involved in some efforts that at the time felt static or unsuccessful Mm -hmm. or frustrating. And then years later, hearing from someone, hey, that thing from years ago, it came up in this recent yada yada, and now we blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, just got to appreciate that sometimes like the long tail of change, you know, it's not necessarily happening right away. Yeah. Um, Thank you again, Kyle, Sean. Check out the Two Disabled Dudes podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Thanks as well to Josh Bragg with Let's Talk. Let's Talk, mh.com to learn more. Shout out to the Let's Talk segment sponsor, Sanofi Genzyme. Thanks as always to our presenting sponsor, Takeda, bleedingdisorders.com for wherever on your journey you may be. And thank you to producer Greg and the Bloodstream team. Thank you for all you do. And thank you, listeners and watchers, for listening and watching. Oh my gosh, for watching as well. And check out the program notes in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com uh, for links related to the stories and segments featured on today's episode. I don't, I doubt the coffee one will be there. But if it is, like, th- that would be cool. Anyway, just Google, like, New York Times coffee. And once again, I'd like uh, to ask you to connect with us about any segment topics or guest ideas, casting opportunities, or really just about anything. Literally, you could just, like, <laughs> email us at mailbag.com. Uh, mailbag.com. Mailbag.com. Nope. Mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. And literally, you can talk to us about anything. And maybe it'll make it on the show. We've gotten, by the by, we have gotten some interesting ones of late. I don't we know. Actually, we have. So, uh, yeah, if you want to add to the pool of interesting emails that maybe, we're getting. 100, actually, we might have a segment of like interesting emails <laughs> that Patrick and Amy have gotten recently. Anyway, or you can find us on social media. We're very fun social media pals. Very fun. Very fun. You can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, sometimes Facebook. You can connect with Patrick on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Yeah, it was very specifically formatted. And I, I just want you to know that I know that. I know. Okay. Well, uh, until next time, I'm your host, Patrick <laughs> James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Board. We will be back again on July 9th. Mark calendar, summer schedule. You know how mm-hmm. it is July 9th. And until then, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>